I don't know if you're aware of this. I, I, I think you probably are, unless you've been living under a rock or in a cave for the past few days. But we as a country, we are knee deep, well, neck deep in a lottery frenzy. And evidently, last I heard, we're at $1.6 billion. Tuesday, another drawing comes into play and you can't hardly go anywhere in our city without hearing someone talk about the lottery. We were in Schnooks the other day checking out and the family in front of us, they were talking about that. She told her husband if they won, he could quit his job. He could come in, drop his keys and kind of shuffle out of the place and she would support that. She wanted a new house, a bigger place, and their child, probably nine or ten, he wanted a Ferrari. So I think they are locked in. Evidently, the chances of winning, 303 million to one. <laughs> Feel lucky? That's kind of the deal. Evidently, stress tops our money list in America. almost three-fourths of Americans, three out of every four, say that they are stressed about their money. 26% feel stress all the time when it comes to their finances. 32% say that their lack of money causes or prevents them from living a healthy lifestyle. And 12% say that they have skipped going to the doctor because of finances. So let's face it, you know, this whole money thing's a pretty big deal. And maybe that's why we're in week three of a series on stewardship and we have already learned Jesus called one man a fool because of his twisted attitude towards his stuff. And last week we learned, I think, that you can't have your cake and eat it too. Michael did a great job of taking us through a passage in Malachi where it says if we don't give to God, then we rob from him. And if we could today, this whole tithing thing, it's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? God expects 10%. And then anything over and above that would be classified, as the Bible says, our gifts and offerings. So it's pretty easy to understand. I'm going to talk you through that here in a few moments. The hard thing is doing it. Because, man, we are so driven by our finances, our monies, that it tends to take over who we are and what we want to be. So what I would like us to do today is basically to look at the Old Testament and the New Testament and see what the Bible has to say, actually has to say about this thing called tithing. Where'd it come from? What's it really all about and what does God really expect? You know, in the book of Hebrews chapter 5, we are told that those who are growing in Christ need to get to the place where we um, crave meat. And we get to a place where we no longer look for milk. 
And I think that's what this stewardship thing is all about. As we grow in Christ, we get to the place where we understand the more mature things the Bible teaches. So today, if I could serve you a little meat, we'll start with the Old Testament and its, its laws. In fact, the Bible tells us that things even began to happen before the Mosaic Law, before the commands were shared and given to God's people. Three reasons that I think this, this study is important to us. Number one, we don't talk about money very often around here, do we? Not very often. And I've said this a million times. The three reasons that people don't like coming to church, church is full of hypocrites, quit it. It's boring, quit it. And all the church wants to talk about is money. That's the number one reason. So we don't talk about it very much. And we do have quite a ministry here, not just locally, but globally. God has blessed us. Our three-year commitment time is coming to a close. And leadership wants you to begin to prayerfully consider your role in a new commitment. A letter will be coming with commitment cards in them, and we want to give you plenty of time to prayerfully consider your role, to strategically look at your financial status and see what might be available. Some may be able to just continue where they've been. Some may may be able to do more, and there might be some because of life circumstances that will not allow you to, uh, uh, to, to go down the path the way you were. But we want to give you the chance to Join with us and work towards paying off this building and adding some improvements to it as we go. And I don't think God expects anyone to do it all, but I think if I put my puny with your puny and your puny with this puny, I think our punies can add up pretty quickly, don't you? And that's what we want to help you consider. So we don't talk about it very often. I have never apologized for asking for money for the kingdom. So I don't think I'm going to apologize today, but it does make me feel a little weird, you know? I've had a lot of people tell me the past few weeks reasons why they couldn't be here. (laughs) And they're all good reasons. They had other plans. They weren't just ditching church because of the topic, I don't think. But, you know, it is kind of hard. And you know why it's so hard? It's just because we don't do it very well. And we are not good at it. And I think if we miss this teaching, there's a good chance that we might miss God. If we miss this understanding, then our salvation could be in jeopardy. The second reason I think that we need to study these kind of things on a regular basis is because tithing, stewardship, trusting God is an act of worship. And you know, when it comes to improving ourselves spiritually, we talk about uh, becoming a better prayer or uh, praying more. We talk about reading and studying more. We talk about about all kinds of things to help help us grow, but we don't ever talk about giving more very much. You know why? Because it's hard. We aren't driven that way. The third reason I think we ought to study these kind of things in Scripture is because Jesus wanted his followers, his early church, 
to prioritize. And I think that's what he calls us to do today, prioritize. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, you'll notice in the bulletin there's just two areas there giving you a lot of space to jot down things that maybe you want to go back and reread or things that might uh, really um, hit you right where you sit this morning. And this whole tenth thing begins to show itself in Genesis chapter 14. So that's where we start today. And I want to read for you in just a moment verses 18 through 20. Genesis chapter 14. And this passage we are told about Abraham at the time he was called Abram. And evidently his nephew, Lot, was taken into captivity. He was kidnapped, basically, And he was taken to Sodom. So Abraham got 318 soldiers, 318 of his best fighting men, and he went to rescue his nephew. The Bible tells us in Genesis 14 that he was successful. And once he got Lot, he then also informed or ordered his men to go and to round up all the goods the things that mattered to haul back home. And then the Bible tells us in Genesis 14, verse 18, that something interesting happened because the Bible says, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of God most high, and he blessed Abraham, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of the heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hands. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So this is kind of weird. They're on their way home, and the local king greets them as they pass through his territory, and he prays a blessing on Abram and his crew, and Abram decides to give him a tenth. Now that's a little crazy, right? I mean, that's a pretty big prayer, wouldn't you think? If I came over to your house today and prayed for you and your family, would you be willing to give me a tenth? You see, in 1 Samuel, we are told that was kind of the tradition back in Bible times. If you went to a neighboring community for some reason and were at war, on your way back home as you passed through their territory, you were owed them a tenth for safe passage. I mean, it's just kind of a traditional thing. So let's say that we went to Boonville, okay? We got everybody together and we went to Boonville and we took Boonville for Evansville. And then we collected all of the important and valuable things and we brought them back home. Evidently, the mayor here would probably want a tenth of all that we got from Boonville. I mean, that's the thought process, So that's where the Bible begins to talk about this tenth thing. We don't know too much about Melchizedek. We don't know his ancestry. We don't know how he knew God. Evidently, the Bible says that he was a holy man. There's no record of his descendants. And we do know that he ruled over Salem, which became Jerusalem. And he was the holy man. 
of their people. In Genesis 28, we find the second reference to this thing called the tenth. Genesis 28, verses 20 and 22. Abraham's grandson, his name was Jacob. He basically tricked his father out of the inheritance that was supposed to go to his older brother. Remember the story? And his older brother vowed to kill him. Anybody here have brothers and sisters? You ever vow to take one of them out after something happened in your house? I mean, that was, but this guy was serious. So the Bible tells us that Jacob decided it would be more healthier to leave and get out of Dodge, so he left. He comes to a place in a wilderness area. He lays down. In fact, he has, the Bible says, a stone for his pillow. And he goes to sleep, and in this sleep he has this vision. There's this ladder, and there's a lot of activity on the ladder. When he comes to, he says, surely God was in this place. And then he makes kind of a conditional deal with God. He says, while I'm out here on the run, if you take care of me, if you feed me, if you give me something to wear, if you keep me safe until I get back home, I will give you a tenth of all that I have. Now, where'd that come from? Because the Mosaic law had not even been given yet. The law from Moses off of Mount Sinai had not even been given. Where'd that come from? Well, it's obvious that it came from his father and his grandfather. It was their thinking that a tenth belonged to God. And then in the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, verses 30 through 34, we see that this this tithe is the bare minimum. It's what God expects. It's what is owed God. Here's what it says. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain or from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If a man redeems any of his tithe, he must add a fifth to its value. So in the Old Testament, if you held back some of your tithe, another 20% was added to the expectation. Another, now I know no one here has ever withheld a tithe, but if you live during the Old Testament time, instead of 10%, you're looking now at 30%. So the number seems to grow. The entire tithe of the herd, the flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. He must not pick out the good from the bad or make any substitution. If he does make a substitution, both the animal and the substitution become holy and cannot be redeemed. These are the commands the Lord gave Moses on Mount Sinai to the Israelites. So the Old Testament talks a lot about tithes and it also talks about offerings. The tithe, the 10%, was that which was owed to God. The offering was that which was given over and above the tithe. And that's what our leadership is going to ask you to consider in a few weeks, making a commitment over and above the tithe. Those monies will go to help pay down the loan for our building and make some needed improvements 
and additions to our place of worship. Over and above, that seems to be the place where it stops. Moses was instructing the people to give the tithe first. And then verse 31 says, Moses was instructed to collect an additional 20% if any of the tithe was held back. Now the Bible also talks about the tithe in Numbers chapter 18. This is one of my favorite passages when it talks about the tithe. You connect Numbers 18 with 1 Timothy 5, and this is um, the information that we get from the Bible to use a portion of the tithe to pay for church leadership, the ministers, the net. Jazz anybody else up besides me? I mean, Numbers 18, 1 Timothy 5, pay the preacher. Use the tithe to, okay, you're not excited about that. We'll keep moving. Deuteronomy chapter 14, there's another surprising piece of text that tells the people what to do with the tithe, and it has to do with their celebrations, has to do with fun stuff. So if someone says, why in the world are those kids eating pizza again? They shouldn't do that. Well, maybe they should. Deuteronomy says, set aside part of that money to go in that direction. What about a softball team? We shouldn't have any. There's no time in the church. Well, maybe you shouldn't say that. Deuteronomy says to use monies for these kind of things. Don't you think the church ought to get together and fellowship now and then? Should we do that? Well, evidently so. Part of the tithe ought to be set aside for those kind of things. So God had a plan, and his plan was to utilize things to the nth. Verses 28 and 29, Deuteronomy 14, every three years their tithes were taken to a local collecting spot. And it was used for salaries and also taking care of the widows and children. God's plan is simple. And if all of us who claim to follow Jesus understood and practiced the tithe, the act of worship, the church would never be in need for finances. In 2 Chronicles chapter 31, verses 4 through 6. Evidently, God's people, the people of Israel, had wandered away from God, and some of them were actually worshiping idols. King Hezekiah thought it was time to maybe bring the people back together and get back to basics. Three things they did immediately. They began to tithe again. They brought their first fruits and they brought in so much they had to pile pile it in heaps, the Bible says. In fact, the religious leader said, hey, 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 hey. Quit bringing stuff. We have too much. (laughs) 
That kind of cracks me up a wee bit. When was the last time you heard a minister in the 21st century say, hey, 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 quit bringing stuff. We got too much. You know, things have kind of gone in a whole different direction, to say the least. Last week, Michael took us through that passage in Malachi that says, if we withhold our tithe, we actually rob God. And that's not a place we want to find ourselves in. So the Old Testament has a lot to say about this tithe thing. It was the law. I know what some of you are thinking, but we bill ourselves as a, what kind of church? New Testament church. Does that mean you don't believe the Old Testament? No, not at all. That just means that we pattern ourselves, or we try to, after the early church in the New Testament, the book of Acts, they first called themselves Christian. They began to meet on the first day of the week, and they practiced the Lord's Supper, and they brought their offerings to God. Now, here's the way it begins in the book of Matthew. The tithe is mentioned many times in the New Testament. However, the command to tithe is not there. So all the people said what? <laughs> Baby, preach on now. Now you got my attention. That's gone. So now what do we do? Here's the way it started in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from the Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do. I want to stop there for a second because you have to understand what he's referencing here. Back in the day, when they came in to give their offerings, there were these big brass, round-looking trumpet things. It's kind of like going to the mall and seeing one of those plastic things. You put it in a quarter and it goes around and around and around and around and it goes around and then it goes down finally. And once it's down, then your grandkids say, let's do it again, Poppy. I'm like, no. Go find your Mimi, you know? Back in Bible times, brass deals. So whenever they brought in their, their offerings, offering time was loud. Have you ever thrown money into any kind of brass bow? It makes some noise. So there was a lot of commotion during offering time. It was always a noisy time. In fact, a lot of people made noise just so other people could hear or see how much they were doing. And here in the book of Matthew, it says, don't, don't be that kind of person. In fact, you know that a lady came up and she had two mites, two coins, and she put her coins in and she sheepishly began to walk away. And Jesus got the boys together and said, hey, hey, that woman there has given more than anyone. They're like, what are you talking about? She gave out of her heart all that she had. So I don't think it basically pushes us to a point where we are locked into a certain concept. Matthew chapter 25 says that the tither ought to be a cheerful giver. And let me just take like a 30 second time out if I could. I'll kind of step out of the light so you won't see all this in church. You know, I don't think God needs the money of a grouch. I mean, if you don't want to give, don't give. I don't think God needs your money. His kingdom is going to continue with or without your money. He wants, the Bible says, a cheerful giver. 
first service, after the message, one of my friends came up who went to school at Johnson Bible College, and she told me who her professor was, and he was a New Testament professor. She said when he talked about this verse, he would often say things with his teeth clenched. Okay? So I'm going to try to do this. I don't know where it's going to go. God loves a cheerful giver. (laughs) And he does. And it needs to be a prayerful consideration. Luke 20 talks about finances, and it just reminds God's people to give to Caesar what belongs to him. And then in Colossians 2, the Bible says the Old Testament law is now gone. When Jesus came, died on the cross, it abolished the Old Testament law. So we're not under that kind of thinking. Michael pointed his finger in this direction last week. There's something called grace in the New Testament. Grace and love and mercy and kindness. No longer are we driven by the law, but now we are driven by grace and mercy and love and kindness. Anybody here deserve the love of God? How about grace? How about mercy? How about kindness? Aren't you glad that we received that? Anybody here feel like they are blessed? Anybody here have more stuff than you need probably? Anybody here have a home to go home to today and have food to eat and already have some kind of plan to go down that path? You see, the Old Testament law was about circumcision. It was about observing feasts and certain meats and remembering this day and that day. And When Jesus came, we are told to be good stewards of what he's blessed us with. We are told that everything belongs to God, but he just wants 10%. We are free from the law. We are under grace. And here's what the Bible says about good stewards. In 1 Corinthians 16.2, we are told to give on the first day of the week and give proportionately. Let me explain proportionately. If God has blessed you with much, he expects much. If God has blessed you with a little, then he expects a little. Everyone is not expected to do the same thing, but they are expected to do their part. Does that make sense at all? Under this grace thing, things have shifted. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 10, the Macedonian church was applauded for its generosity. And the Bible says they were poor people, but generous. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 9, we are told if we give generously, we will receive generous blessings. And I have to kind of talk you through that today because this is often misinterpreted in the text. If you have the flu and try to pay your way out of the flu, that's not what's being talked about here. If you're looking for a job and you think maybe if I kick in an extra 50, that's going to help me with it, that's not what's being talked about here. I had a friend who didn't live too far from me years ago. He was sick and he was going through the dying process. And I went to see him. 
And he told me one of his friends stopped in and said he could get better if he had more faith. That made me mad. My friend was a godly man. He had lived his life as a Jesus follower. And now I got some yaya head. I guess I can say that in church, yeah? I got some yaya head who's saying, if you had more faith, God would bless you with health. That's not the way it works. God's will is sometimes hard to analyze, but his will is always supreme. Two applications here. The New Testament says that Christians are commanded to be generous stewards, not rigid tithers. We are no longer under the law. We are now under grace. Tithing is still a good measuring stick for generosity. And this is the best way that I think I can illustrate this. Let's say that you went out to eat after church today. I mean, you had a good meal and you had good service. What is the measuring stick of generosity? I mean, when it comes to the tip for good food and good service, how much should you leave? 10%? Do I have any servers in here today? First service, they, okay, okay, okay. Got some hands here, that's good. 15%, would that be good? That'd be pretty good. First service told me at least 20%. That'd be way good? Yeah, way good. So understand the deal here. If, if that's the measuring stick for good food, good service, we think at least 20% is the deal. So let's say you were coming with me today after worship for lunch. I said, hey, I want to take you out to lunch and get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Debbie and I want to take you to our favorite restaurant here in town. And we go over to that restaurant and I know the owner. He says, hey, Jerry, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. He says, I haven't seen you for a while. And I said, we usually don't come here unless it's a special deal. And I have some friends I want to introduce you to, and here are my friends. And he said, I thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, what, what I want to do is, is comp your lunch today. And we argue, no way, yes way, no way, yes way, and I lose. He says, just sit down, make yourself at home, and the meal's on me. And they bring us menus, and we try to go through the menus, and then the waiter comes over and he goes, I need the menus, we're just going to bring you lunch. And it's like a five-course meal. We got this soup thing going on, and there's actually broccoli in there, but it tastes pretty good, you know? We have appetizers, and then they don't just bring steak. They bring steak and lobster. We got little butter things and stuff. We dip it, and we kind of make it through that whole deal, and we have potatoes and salads, and I mean, it's, it's all there. And then, have you ever been to one of those places that has dessert trays? And they bring you a little tray. Sometimes at home when I'm feeling kind of funky, I'll ask Debbie for a dessert tray. (laughs) Sometimes it works. Sometimes I'll just text her on her phone. Could you bring me a dessert tray? It's almost half time. That really, you know, I can hear her coming. (laughs) Are you crazy, you know? 
These guys bring us a dessert cart. I mean, it's got three levels. It's loaded down, and they leave the cart. So, man, we're eating like pieces of this and pieces of that. And before we know it, the whole cart is empty. Then my friend comes back and says, hey, did you enjoy your meal? And we can't answer. We've all passed out. We come to and we thank him for his generosity, for his kindness. And I said, let me have the bill. And he goes, no bill, man. I'm taking care of this. And then he says, just, just take care of my people. You guys can take care of the tip. 10%? Uh-uh. 15? 20, 25, 30? <laughs> yeah. Proportionate. Proportionate blessing for proportionate reaction. You know, here's why we live under grace now. Jesus gave his life for you on the cross. Is that worth anything? We have all been given, offered forgiveness of sin. Is that worth anything? We have been given the Holy Spirit. We have been given fellowship within the church. We have been allowed to live in America, the land that is greater than any. And God says, just give proportionately. Well, what about the 10% thing? You know, that's sounding pretty good now, doesn't it? Just give to me the way you have been blessed. And here's the kicker. If we get this whole money thing wrong, then we're probably going to get God wrong. If we miss this, we're probably going to miss him. And if we don't get this right, our salvation is in jeopardy. Will you pray with me? Father God, it's been tough these past few weeks searching scripture.